Well, good morning. Good morning. Happy Father's Day to you. I hope you got a piece of bacon on the way in. It's not just for dads. This is for everybody. Boy, bacon makes everything taste better, doesn't it? It even makes church taste a little better. Take a little, take a little bite. Who knew bacon could make church better, too? Shouldn't talk with my mouth full, but that's pretty good. Hey, welcome to Roan County, to Bearden, to Amp, down in Blend. We're glad to be together today. And I got to tell you, I'm really excited. I know you've heard about it, but I'm excited about next weekend. I hope you'll make every effort and energy to be on campus next weekend or one of our campuses next weekend as we talk about where we know that God's called us to go in the next several months, next ministry year, and the next 10 years. We're excited to be able to share some, some, some up, updates with you where we believe God's calling us as a church and a ministry. So come. I know on all the campuses they're going to be doing special stuff on Harrison Lane. There'll be, uh, there'll be barbecues outside and meat and all kinds of food trucks and stuff happening. So bring some cash next week. It's not, it's not a freebie. So I don't usually carry cash. Make sure you stop at an ATM bring some cash next week. We're glad to be together. Hey, we're continuing our study in building faith. And uh, it seems appropriate that we would actually talk about um, a guy who Paul refers to in Romans as the father of our faith, Abraham. We've been looking at the life of Abraham. We're in Genesis chapter 22, so you can get out your smartphone, your Bible, your Genesis journal and follow along. If you didn't bring one, we'll put the words up on the screen behind us. But Abraham's been known as the father of our faith, and, and Paul says he's the father of us all. Why would he say such a thing? Here's why he'd say it. He told Abraham way, way back in Genesis, I think chapters 15 and 17, I'm going to make you into a great nation. In fact, as, as many as the stars are in the sky, so will your descendants be. And that promise to Abraham, as we know, as we've uncovered and unpacked for the last several weeks, was going to come through his wife, Sarah, and they were going to have a, a son. And eventually they did. They had a miraculous son. Uh, in fact, a miracle baby, because Abraham was way up there in years, and so was Sarah. It was way beyond child-rearing years, and we'll get to that in a minute or two. But, but they were given a son. And it's through that son that you and I are here. We're all children of Abraham. We're the stars in the sky that he looked up and saw as God pointed out. And he said, hey, as, as many as the stars are in the sky, so will your descendants be. And because we've, we've been people who are a people of faith, who are actually tied to Jesus, tied to the lineage of Jesus, tied all the way back to Abraham, we're the answer to what God promised Abraham years and years ago. Abraham, the father of our faith. And faith for us has been a gift a gift to us as believers as we've given our hearts and our lives to Jesus and have chosen to follow him. We've been working with a working definition of faith from Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. This isn't wishful thinking or hoping against hope or I hope, I hope, I hope this thing works out and I'm just going to dig deep and believe it's going to happen. This is faith not in, not in what what, what God may promise, but this is faith in who he is, who he's promised to be in our lives. In this next chapter in the story of Abraham, we'll discover that faith is based on God's trustworthy character. Faith is based on God's trustworthy character. Abraham gives us a beautiful picture of what it looks like to actually move and shift from trusting God for the circumstances of life to actually trusting God and his character. It's who he is. This amazing story of the father of our faith, as we'll unpack, this Abraham and Isaac story. If you've been around church for any length of time, you kind of know the story already. And yet, I ask you to, to look at it afresh and anew today. Abraham 
it, it took them a half a second to get there. In fact, we've watched over the last several weeks as, as we've unpacked the, the story of Abraham's life that what God called him to do, he, he tripped and he faltered and he tried, to, he tried to interject his own plan and his own thoughts and all of this. And yet today we see something very different. Something significantly shifts in Abraham's world and in Abraham's life. Somewhere along the way in his relationship with God, something shifted, something turned. And Abraham moved from trusting God's promise to trusting God. He moved from trusting the promises of God to trusting the character of God. Let's jump into Genesis chapter 22 and unpack this story. After these things, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Stop. Three times in this passage, Abraham says, here I am. And what he's saying is, here I am. I'm attentive. I'm here. I'm listening. I'm available. What do you have for me, Lord? And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains in which I should tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. Stop. you gotta, you got to know that this is a big shift for Abraham. Back, back in just a few chapters earlier, there were some, some directives given to him, and he, he messed it all up, got, got himself all interjected in the process and everything, and here God tells him to do something that's preposterous. This very son that you've waited a lifetime to experience the very son that, that you've waited a lifetime to have, where you and Sarah finally have Isaac. He says, I want you to get up the next morning, and I want you to take that boy, and I want you to go up to Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him. And Abraham turns immediately and heads in that direction. Something's changed. Something's happened in Abraham's faith. He goes on. And he cut the wood and the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw this place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Stop. Some folks read this and go, he's just faking it. He didn't want to panic Isaac. He didn't want to stress people out. He's just faking this thing. He, he's covering for what he knows is going to take place. And I got to say, I got to point back, if you read this in context, there's no way he's faking it. Something's changed. Something's stopped. For God to say to him, hey, get up the next day, take your boy, I want you to take this one you waited a lifetime to have and go sacrifice him. He gets up the very next day, moves with urgency toward the very thing God's called him to do. He's not faking it. He really believed he was coming home that day with Isaac. Verse 6, And Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, here I am, my son. There it is again. Attentive. I'm listening. Here I am, son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. I know we're just reading a story, but you gotta, you got to stop and think about that. Here's this boy who trusted and loved his dad. I don't know if he's 8, 10, 14, somewhere in there, somewhere in that range. And all of a sudden, he's, he's strapped down to an altar. He's looking at his father in the eye, not, not understanding in any way, shape, or form what, what, the, what the heck's going on with this. Looking at his dad in the eye, and God, Abraham's about to do the, the most unthinkable thing to sacrifice his son and about to slaughter him, which is 
not common practice for the people of God. This wasn't something normal. This wasn't something that typically took place. In fact, God speaks actually against human sacrifice. And yet it's about to happen. Verse 10, then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord often just refers to the voice of God. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Third time, here I am, Lord, I'm listening, what's up? He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything for, to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Folks, this is a powerful story. Familiar as it may be to us, this is a powerful story that takes place in the life and the story of Abraham. And it doesn't happen at the front end of Abraham's life. It seems to happen further on, close to the back end of his life. And as we talked about last week, as Dave Green unpacked for us, uh, faith is born out of experiences. Faith is born out of experience after experience after experience of, of understanding who God is. Somewhere along the way, as a follower of Jesus, our faith shifts from what God has done for us lately to who God is. As a follower of God, as a follower of Christ, some, somewhere along the way, our faith shifts from, if we allow it, if we move there, God allows our faith to move from believing in the promises to believing in who he is. It doesn't just happen by living long enough. And I don't look at a bunch of you who are my age and older, you, you just can't live long enough and have that kind of faith. It doesn't just happen because you've survived the last 20, 30, 40 years. It's about us responding to this pursuit of God, his pursuit of us, his desire for us to know him, his desire for us to love him, and us responding to that and moving into that. And one of the ways in which God grows our faith is through testing. God grows our faith through testing. God's testing shows us that our faith is real. It shows us our faith is real. Let me just say, I hate the word test. I hate tests. If there's an official, um, if there's an official diagnosis for test anxiety, I had it, have it. I, I would stress out over any test. I would know something cold, go into a test with my number two pencil and blank out. I got nothing. I'd sit there and I, all of a sudden I had this overwhelming anxiety that would just rush over me. I, I couldn't respond appropriately to tests. I remember when I was studying for my ordination council. For me, in my world, that was the biggest test I'd ever take. Four and a half, five hours of, of men and women sitting around a table grilling me on theology. I mean, for weeks before that, I was sick to my stomach. I had migraines. I was just, it was a horrible experience. And yet, it was a beautiful experience as I sat there and, and, and took this test. On the other side of the table, lately I've been on, on the other side. I've been, I've, been, I've been the one asking the questions among others. A couple weeks ago, Dave Nichols and Eric Schwartz sat on their licensing council. And I sat in that council, and it was amazing. I had no anxiety, no headache, no stomach problems. <laughs> it was a beautiful experience. And I watched these guys step up and, and, and describe what they knew and, about God and, and answering questions, not to foul them up, not to trip them up, but to reveal their knowledge of God. God doesn't test us to show us what we're not. He tests us to show us who he is and what he's up to and what he's doing. This gift of faith that we've been given was never meant to be just a moment in time. I walked the aisle, I said yes to Jesus. It was never meant to be a moment in time, but it was always meant to be built over time. 
Yes, it started with a relationship with Christ. He's empowered us actually to live this walk and this faith that he's called us to. But, but he, he calls us to engage and to embrace him in it and to build it over time. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. He says, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man can boast. There's nothing that you and I have brought to the table that's earned our faith. Do we know that? Nothing. It's a gift from God. God gave us faith to trust in him. God gave us the faith to know that our sins had been forgiven and we now have a relationship with him. But, but what he does call us to is to respond to that. I love Abraham's response three times over. Here I am. Here I am. I'm listening. I'm attentive. God, what do you have for me? And it's in these trials and difficulties and these tests that come in our lives I feel like we ought to be asking that question. When, when it happens to us, when that phone call comes or that devastation thing, devastating thing happens, I feel like we, we should be moving. To, okay, God, here I am. I'm in this. I don't get it. I don't understand what's going on right now, but, but here I am. What do you have for me? In 1 Peter, we're told this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. I don't know if you have, but there's stuff we've walked through that's it's grieved me. Difficulties, trials, tests, they're tough to, to walk through. But he says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're, we're tested to reveal the preciousness of our faith. That, that yes, come hell or high water, things have just rolled over my life, but I'm still standing, I'm still trusting, I'm still believing in the one I place my faith in. And here close to the end of Abraham's life, pretty close to the end, God tests him with one of the most severe tests I can't imagine any man woman ever facing on the face of this earth. That, that they'd have to sacrifice their own child. Wow. What an incredible, incredible quest. And though there are very clear ties here in this prototype that, that God's asked of Abraham, He's, he said, I want you to sacrifice your own son. And when we read this text, I hope as we read through the passage, there's, there's some thoughts that came to mind. As God said to Abraham, he said, Abraham, he said uh, hey, I want you to take your son, the one you love, your beloved son. Remember what Jesus, remember what God said about Jesus? This is my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased at his baptism. Remember what we're told in John, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He loved us so much, he gave his only son. There's, there's ties here, there's references here, all the way back in Genesis that point to the person of Christ. Abraham and Isaac said they went up three days, three days up to the place where they were going to worship. Three days ought to, ought to ring clear in our mind, like three days Jesus was raised up from the dead. Abraham may have been the father of our faith. But what it points to, what he's pointing to, is Jesus, the perfecter of our faith, the founder and perfecter of our faith. God did all of this. God tested him. God did all of this to give us this faith, this gift of faith. And his testing of our faith is, is not to reveal what we're not, but who he is. And I know that's hard to grasp sometimes we're in the middle of something. It's not to reveal what we're not and how we fall short, but it's to re reveal who he is. You know, we're given some insights into the story from the New Testament. I love how we've been given the full Old and New Testament, the full counsel of Scripture. We can oftentimes look back and should look back at the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. 
especially when the lens of the New Testament gets really direct. It's not like you're reading into the text. So there's just some low-hanging fruit text here that we've, text here that we've got to walk through because in the, in the book of Hebrews, the, the author of Hebrews actually addresses Abraham's faith. And what he says about Abraham's faith, I want you to get this, that Abraham knew God. He knew God. You'd have to know God and trust God to get up the next day after God has promised this son that you thought you'd never have and miraculously finally have. He finally trusted God when God said, get up the next day and want you to sacrifice your son. And without thinking, he turned left, went right up to the Mount of Moriah and, and was about to do what God called him to do. That demonstrates a knowledge of God. He trusted him. Hebrews chapter 11 says this specifically. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had, who had received promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. It was Isaac. It wasn't going to be another son. He knew it would be Isaac. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham's faith was so great at this point. And I love where the New Testament points back and gives us a deeper picture of what was going on in his faith. He was literally convinced and confident that his son was coming home to Sarah alive. He wasn't just faking it. He wasn't veining when he said to the, the servants, hey, stay here a little bit. We're going to go up to a, a place and worship, but we're coming back. What he was saying to them, we're coming back. He intended to come back with Isaac somehow, some way. And even if God allowed him to sacrifice his son, he believed, Hebrews says, he believed that God could raise him from the dead and bring him home. He wasn't coming home empty-handed. He was coming home with Isaac. What a powerful, powerful expression of faith. Folks, this is faith beyond circumstances. It's beyond what we see right in front of us. This is faith in who God is. And not what's going on right in front of us. And it's in these moments, it's in these moments that our faith, if it's genuine at all, is found in the character of God. God's steadfastness. God's steadfastness in our lives. Lately, I've been uh, slowing down in my Bible reading. I used to try to get through chunks of Scripture, and that's good, too. And uh, I don't know, the last couple months, I've been slowing down. I've just been sitting in the book of Psalms and uh, reading a psalm a day and uh, praying that back. And it's amazing when you slow down a little bit how, how, how things just pop off the page. And maybe you've seen this before, and I think I have before, but I need to go back and start over. Maybe I'll start tomorrow and go back and, and, and underline every time in the book of Psalms where it, it says about God that he's steadfast. He's steadfast. God is steadfast. That means he's immovable. He's not changing. God is steadfast. He's, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Who he was yesterday is, is going to be who he is today, who's going to be who he is tomorrow. God is steadfast. There's this steadfastness about God and who he is that Abraham wrapped his heart and his mind around. He started to acknowledge not, not just that God had fulfilled promises, but, but that God could be trusted in who he was and who he is. The character of God is where Abraham placed his faith. So, folks, whatever happened along the way with him, and I don't know what it was or when it was, whatever happened along the way, I want to live more and more in that space. I want to live more and more in, in the space and place where no matter what takes place in any given day, week, or month, that I get up and go, here I am, Lord. Here I am. What, what, what do you want from me this day? And I believe this is the life of faith, folks, that we're called to. We're called to be in this space. We're called to live in this space. 
It would be nice if we could just flip a switch. It would be nice if, we could, if I could come up with a prayer, we could pray, we could walk the aisle and say, done, we're in. We're living this thing. We're believing in God's character. But, but what happens for us is not a switch that gets flipped. It's experience after experience after experience. As we look back and recall the faithfulness of God in our lives, we see it over and over and over again. Then we're able to trust him for what, what today, tomorrow may unfold for you and I. This idea brings further clarity and meaning to what James encouraged in the, in the early church when he said, count it all joy, my brothers. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, not lacking anything. God, God wants us to, to be steadfast as he is steadfast, trusting him, knowing his character so much so, that, that we expect it, we depend on it. God's testing shows us that our faith is real. It's not revealing what we're not, but it's revealing who he is. To get to the point where a friend of mine says, recently I've heard this guy say this over and over, he goes, when something spectacular happens or God does something out of the blue or just amazing, he goes, you know, that's just like God. That's just like God. I think that, I think that mirrors the kind of faith that we're, we're called to have. Like when, when God does and, and is moving in such a profound way that we, we look at it, we identify, and we go, well, that makes sense. That's just like God. That's who he is. To know him that well, to trust him that much, that we'd be a people that live there. Testing gets us there. God also wants us to know that he'll do what he's promised. God will do what he's promised. Our faith is based on God's trustworthy character, and he can be counted on to do exactly what he promised. He promised Abraham and Sarah a son, and he waited till they were old and decrepit. I mean, way old and decrepit. You got to really look at the story. Like, I think it's in Romans it talks about Paul refers to Abraham. He goes, Abraham considered himself weak and as good as dead. Some of you look like that. <laughs> weak and as good as dead. Done. I'm out of here. I can't do this anymore, right? Weak and as good as dead. And his wife, barren, never had a child, never had a child of her own, way beyond child-rearing years. He waited till that exact moment when it was impossible, impossible for a man and a woman to possibly conceive and bear and bore a child. And yet God provided, just as he said he would. On that mountain, God provided Abraham was faithful. He lifted up a, a knife to take the very life of his son. And God said, hey, 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 slow this one down. I got a ram over here in the thicket. God provided the sacrifice that he said he would. And we see that Abraham and Isaac said they went up to the mountain to worship. Our worship pastor Aaron said, uh, you know, that's the first place in Scripture where worship emerges. And I'm sure it's worship's happened before, but it's the first time it's referenced. And I'm reading way into the text at this point, but if I'm Abraham and Isaac, and I just walk through this experience where I thought this was going to be the end of my son or the end of my own life, I'll bet that was a worship service worth attending. I'll bet there were some daggum guttural hooting and hollering that went on around that fire as they watched that ram burn, right? I bet they were dancing a jig. I bet they got their groove on. This thing's happening. God's provided. God's done this amazing thing. God does what he promises. It's just like him. It's who he is. And here at the wrap-up of this chapter in Abraham's life, God doubles down and he, and he reiterates the same promise he's given to Abraham already twice. He says in verse 15, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham. He called him a second time from heaven. 
And he said, by myself I've sworn, declares the Lord, because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand of the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. Folks, what does this mean? It means a whole heck of a lot for us. It means God will do what he promised. The fact that we're seated here and we claim the name of Jesus, we're tied to Jesus, we're tied to the lineage of Jesus, we're tied to the, we're tied to the father of our faith, Abraham. God did what he promised. We're proof text of that. He's the father of our faith, and God told his story in great detail so that we too somehow, somehow, somewhere along the way would make the shift to trusting in God for who he is, no matter what tests or trials come our way, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. And the author of Hebrews also gives us some great insight of, of how these folks who have been revered as faithful men and women. There's a whole list, a litany of, of folks he mentions and talks about their faith. And he points to uh, those who would follow after them, you and I, the early church, this church, that we follow after. And he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run the race with endurance, the race that is set before us, looking to who? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such a hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Folks, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us know Jesus. That's what he's saying. While we can say Abraham's the father of our faith, Jesus is the founder. He's the perfecter of our faith. And folks, at 61 years old, I want to live more like this. I want, to, I want to live more like a man who is convinced about the character of God. Now, I've had a couple of really good moments. I want you to know, like, I'm just not a complete wash-up, right? But like, like Abraham, I've, I've tripped over myself along the way, but I've had some moments where I, I didn't know how I'd ever survive the next day, week, or month. I, I had some moments in my life since I've known Jesus as an adult where I thought, I don't know if this thing's real anymore. Like, I, the, the bottom literally dropped out under me. And yet, here I am on the other side of it. I've seen and experienced the faithfulness of God in the midst of the trials and the difficulties, some that he's brought and some that just come by living in a broken world. And so have you. I want to live more and more in this space. And I wonder if we really believed that God was who he said he is, that we really trusted his character, and that's the foundation of our faith, I'll bet we'd live radically different than we do today, wouldn't we? I'll bet we would. I know I would. He says he's never going to leave us or forsake us. So where, where can I go where he's not already there? He says nothing can separate me from his love. Nothing, absolutely nothing. So what keeps me back? What keeps me so daggum insecure and hesitant and cautious and worrying about every circumstance that comes up and this thing in my life and this thing in my kid's life or that thing's going to happen. Why am I so caught up in the circumstances of life when I, when I have a God who's been faithful to me and calls me not to look at the circumstances but to trust his character, to trust who he said he is, who he's always been and who he's always going to be. My life, your life, our lives would look radically different. And I got to tell you, I think I know the answer how to get there. I know the answer. Do you want to know it? 
Roan County answered. Thanks, Roan County. Appreciate that. Do you want to know it? It's simple. I've already said it. It comes from knowing God, that we'd be a people that are pursuing a knowledge of God, that we would know him. And I'm not talking about one more Bible study, one more podcast, one more conference, and I'm all into Scripture. I love the Word. I think you can't get enough of the Word. Be in the Word. Be about the Word. The Word is essential for us in knowing God. But it's more than knowing the facts about Scripture. It's more than knowing the facts about God. It's taking the facts about God, moving them to a place when, when push comes to shove, that I trust the character of who God says He is in His Word. Because I've experienced it. I've seen it. And I think sometimes we get short-minded. We get short-focused. And we forget that God's been faithful. He's been faithful to us. It comes from knowing God. Giving ourselves to a, a pursuit and knowledge of Him. The folks that are living a faith that's intensely compelling. The people that I look up to. The people I look to are, are folks that know Jesus. They know God. They're in a pursuit of knowing Him. Perfectly? Absolutely not. Abraham knew God, he knew his voice, he knew his ways, and though he tripped over himself, and I'm grateful that Abraham tripped over himself to get there, it wasn't until the end of his life that he actually got some stuff together, that ought to be an encouragement for us. It's not about doing this thing perfectly, but it's about doing this thing. It's about getting up every day and doing this thing. So let me just pretend for a moment that, that your, your ticket's up. You don't make it home today. You're gone. God's called you home. And we're going to gather in a day or two and we're going to talk about you. What's going to be the theme of the service that we talk about? What, what's going to emerge? What, what are we going to say about you? Here, here's, here's what I believe to be true. I don't think there's anything better that could be said about any man or woman that they knew God. This, this man or woman knew God. They knew him experientially. They knew God. I got a phone call from a good friend of mine about a month ago. A guy I met in 1990. His name is Bob Little. We worked at a church together in Charlotte, North Carolina. Bob was so influential in my life, from ministry to finances to, he, he was an older brother who stepped in and kind of coached me up and brought me up in the way I should go. And he called me about a month ago and he said, Mark, I called to tell you how much you mean to me. And so he went on for about three or four or five minutes and it was kind of humbling to hear Bob, an older guy, speak, speak to me about me. Like I was just floored. And he said, well, that's the first, that's the first reason I called. The second reason is this, I just called to say goodbye. I beat brain cancer a year ago. I'm not beating it this time. I'm going to be with Jesus sooner than we think. In fact, I pray for Bob and Nancy right now and their kids. His hospice is there, and he won't make it another day or two. So, God, I just pray your blessing and your presence in his life right now. But I know when they gather around Bob, when they have a service, and they're talking about Bob Little, here's what they're going to say. That man knew God. He knew God. We watched it. We saw it. We experienced it in his life. We, we saw the way in which he walked through life. Yeah, he knew a whole lot about God. He could teach the word inside and out, but that man knew God, flat out knew God. Our kids were in town last weekend, and uh, when I say our kids, they're almost 30, <laughs> and uh, they've married two men, so we got four kids now, and uh, they were sitting at the table, and we were having brunch together, and it's interesting. We were just listening to the conversation. They were talking about uh, parenting styles and parenting models, and you know, all their, all their friends are trying to choose, which parenting style would you use? Which parenting style are you going with? And which model do you use? And Terry and I looked at each other, just kind of like rolled our eyes a little bit. And, and uh, eventually they looked at me and they said, well, wh which one did you use? I'm like, I guess there was a Dr. Spock book that was out, but we never read it. I don't know what the book said, but we were just trying to keep you fed and alive. We thought that was a pretty good strategy. 
And they go, really, that's it? Like, that's it? I don't know what my kids walked away with from being raised in our home, but I hope and pray. They walked away knowing a mom and a dad loved Jesus. Perfectly, no. They watched us stumble. They watched us fall, fail. But I hope when they look back at our lives and they look back at our parenting, our influence, our engagement in their lives, they saw people who were striving as best they could to walk and be faithful to God. That we'd be a people who knew God. It's Father's Day. Did you know that? Let me hunker in for a second. Men, 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 you're making an impact in people's lives. You don't think you are. Oh, my grandkids don't even respond to my phone calls. I don't get a text back, blah, 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 blah. You're making an impact in the people around you. You're making an impact in the lives of your family. In fact, you're making a bigger impact than you'd ever believe or imagine is true. Dads, grandfathers, great-grandfathers, you have a responsibility and an authority given to you by God to set an example for your family. Perfectly? No. Nobody's going to do that perfectly. You don't have to show up and, and cross and check, check all the boxes. Well, I go to church. I do this. I tithe. I, that's not what they're looking for. Be a man who steps into a relationship with Christ in such a way that when people look at your life, they go, he knew God. Perfectly? No, but he died trying. I think that's one of the best things they could say at your funeral. That man knew God? Almost pretty good, but he died trying. Man, let's have an impact on our families. Let's be, a, let's be a people, and this isn't just for men, this is for all of us. Let's be a people who are, who are hell-bent on knowing Jesus, flat out knowing him, experiencing him, walking with him in such a way that the people around us are drawn to him, and they see it too. I, I, I'm not going to apologize. I'm going to mention my dad again. I love my dad. I love my dad. First half of our life was rough. Didn't like my dad. But the last 30 years or so has been amazing. My dad's 98 years old, and he's doing pretty good. And three years ago last month, they came into him, and they said he had some stomach issues. They took him to the, the hospital ER room, and, and uh, they, they said, to Mr. Hoffman, you're going to have to have uh, some stomach surgery, or you're going to die in about three or four days. This thing's not going to go well for you. And so my dad called each of us boys, and he goes, I'm out. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I'm 95 years old. 96 years old, I'm out. I'm going to go be with your mom. I'm good. And we felt like, disappointing as we, disappointed as we were, like, you, even at that age, you get to say, you're done, you're done, right? Who's going to fight that? So that night, I didn't sleep very well, and, and the surgeon came in to see my dad the next morning, and he, he said, Mr. Hoffman, what's the deal? And my dad said, well, God told me last night that I'm not done. And he quoted Admiral Farragut, though he didn't know that he was quoting Admiral Farragut. And he said, damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead. The dude went into surgery, came out of surgery, did great, went back to assisted living. Pandemic happened, swallowed up by the pandemic. Worst place in the world to be right now is an assisted living place if you've been in a pandemic. Closed in, isolated, got COVID, went to the ER, went to the hospital four or five days, survived COVID's home, 98 years old, walked the whole perimeter of the property yesterday. Stud. But more than that, my dad's still showing the 61-year-old boy what it means to follow Jesus. So you think your time's up. You don't think you have something to give. You don't think your life matters. You don't think the way you live your life and the way you pursue God matters. It matters a big deal. It matters massively. You don't have to do it perfectly. That, that, that stuff will keep you from ever walking with God. 
I'm just not a good Christian. Nobody's a good Christian. I've never met a good Christian. There's people who try to be. But may we be a people who are pursuing Christ, that we're pursuing the knowledge of Christ in a way that draws other people to understand our love for him. Life's filled with incredible joys as we, as well as devastating blows and hardship. And so many folks get swallowed up in the circumstances of life and they miss the character of who God is. My hope and my prayer for us that we'd get overwhelmed and swallowed up and marked by the trustworthy character of Jesus who promises to never leave us, never to forsake us, and who says, I'm working all things together for good to those who love me. All things together for good. God's at work. God, God is doing what he said he would do, and he can be trusted. God can be trusted. Some of you need to be reminded of that today. No matter what you're walking through, God can be trusted. So here's what we're going to do before we walk out today. I think this is fitting for Father's Day since we have an amazing Heavenly Father. I want you to stop and think for a second. When was the last time, and I'm sure every one of you have one of these events in your life, when was the last time in your world and in your life you thought, this thing's going to swallow me up? I don't even know if I, if I get to the other side of this that I'll even have a faith left. Can you think of something in your life? Roan County, Amp, Glen, Bearden, Live. I can make, make you raise your hand, but I want you to think of that time in your life you think, I, I don't know if I'm going to make it. Now think of the time before that. And I'll bet a lot of you will struggle getting from that, that point to that point. Because we have this short, memory, this short memory. We have this span. that We forget how kind and good God's been. Remember the Israelites? They got through God parting their, the water and held the sea back. They got to their side and they go, we're hungry. What about food? Well, you can laugh. We're just like that. Think, think about the time before the last time. And here's what's true about you. You're here. You're, you're here. You're on the other side. You're on the other side. Scarred and bruised, beat up? Absolutely. But you're here. You've shown up in church? That says a whole lot. That says you've come, you've come to, to be a part of the one who's rescued and saved you. You're here. God ought to get praise and thanks for that. Let's just spend a moment or so doing that. Let's I'm going to ask you to give you your own space to 30, 40, 45 seconds to actually say, thank you to God. Thank you. God, I do remember. I'm here today because you brought me here, because your faithfulness, because your character is faithful. Spend a moment thanking the Father for his faithfulness. Let's pray. God, with humble hearts and hearts full of gratitude beyond words, we, we thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. Thank you for the gift of faith. Thank you for growing our faith. Thank you for meeting us even when we stumble and fail and fall in the process. God, it's our heart's desire that you would know how grateful we are, how much we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Let's be a people as we move into a new week, into the summer. Let's be a people who are, are flat out in pursuit of Jesus. Flat out in pursuit of knowing him, truly knowing him. And if you're here this weekend and you've never trusted Jesus for faith, folks, this is your moment. This is the time. Join the rest of us. Join, join the stars in the sky. Join the sands in the seashore. The promise that was made to Abraham includes you as well. You might say, well, what does that look like? It, it looks like just making a decision to follow Christ. It's not some special prayer, but it's a prayer of surrender. It's a prayer of obedience. And there'll be folks here in this venue and in our other venues across our campuses at the end of our services to answer some of those questions or talk with you about that or even pray with you. And as the rest of us, as we walk through this week, I, wa I, want you to, I want you to look through a filter as you walk through this week of, with everybody that you see, whether it's in your home, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, or wherever you find yourself this week. I want you to drop this filter in front of your eyes and look at them and, and ask, ask yourself this question. Do they know that I know Jesus? Am I living in such a way that, that they would know that I know Jesus, that, that, that no matter what's going on in my life, I know the one? <laughs> And I trust the one who's the perfecter and founder of my faith. Do they know that? And then ask God, however that question goes for you, ask God, what am I supposed to do about that? And I'm going to take you back to where we always take you back to, to the word of God. Go back and read this story again. Read Genesis chapter 22 this week. And ask God this question. Holy Spirit, show me, show me what it is you want me to know about you. And yeah, it'll start with some facts and some interesting things that are happening in the text. But, but God, take me further than that. Show me what that's supposed to look like in, in the way I live my life this week, in the way I experience you, in the way that I walk with you this week. That we would be a people who are flat out in pursuit of knowing Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's stand across all of our venues and worship. Let's, let's thank God for his faithfulness to us.